All right, let's rise to our feet quickly. Let's just use that one to start and do our normal incantations. I, I, I like that word. I want to get used to it very well. Let's do our normal incantations of the word of God. Amen? Amen. We are in the most powerful confraternity on the earth. Yes, the confraternity of Christ. All right? If you have not listened to that message, please go and listen to it. All right, the Lord is good. You know, I said something the other day. And I was preaching when I was in Bonnie Island. I said, they will see a man succeeding. They say he's using something. A Christian must never say that again. It's an indictment on your own something. You tell me that somebody else is something is more powerful than your own something. If somebody can use something, don't you have something? Use your own something. Say after me in the name of Jesus. I have something. And I'm using my own something. And it's working for me. It's glorifying God. Is producing, producing results. Is the power of grace. Is the power of Christ. And is working towards me. In the name of Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that you have something. Tell your neighbor you have something. Tell your neighbor you have something. Tell the person use it. Don't worry about what somebody else is using. Use your own something. Amen. I'm sure you are feeling powerful already. Yes, Christians don't know the amount of something that they have. So they are using something. Next, somebody says, how are you doing? He says, I'm using something. Do you want me to take you to the Baba? He says, yes. Tell the person, we'll go on Saturday evening. Be ready. When a fellow gets in a place like this, he walks in. He says, is this the Baba? He says, no, no, this is one of his boys. The Baba is in heaven. <laughs> Jesus said, our Baba who art in heaven. Is that not what he said? Yes, I've told people, you must, this life, you know, they take, you know, they take ordinary and live them. You must be connected to one Baba. You must have Baba and Bejo. I hope you understand what I'm saying. I should watch a few Yoruba movies. The man is somewhere, then some, he goes somewhere behind regularly to go and meet one Baba who arranges him, who arranges her. You too, you will be arranged in Jesus' name. Amen. Your own Baba is a father who acts in heaven. Whose name is hallowed, to be feared, respected. The Lord is good. Let's do our incantations as we begin our meeting for today. Together, let us declare the word of God. One to go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, and I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will, the most spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I am bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. amen. I said amen. amen. Understand is your portion today in the name of Jesus. Amen. This word will enter your heart. It will turn you around, lift you up to another level in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's take our seats. The Lord is good. If you believe, you give me an amen. amen. If you are ready for today, give me an amen. amen. The pursuit and the use of faith is what we have been looking at. I want to preach a very interesting message today. Actually, I had a thought as I was um, preparing to leave my house this evening. And I just felt like transiting from this point and start studying the book of Ecclesiastes. But I may not do that. I might do that. I am not sure yet, okay? But let's just look at how it goes. But this is the reason why 
I am I'm suspecting I might do that. And that's because we're talking about the pursuit and the use of faith. And I want to explain something today in at least we're talking about the purpose of faith. What do we use it for? I want to explain something today which will be interesting to all of us. Uh, the last thing that we said was that um, if I said that I was talking about the purpose for our lives and that that's the most important thing that you actually use for faith to connect with. That there are a number of things. We know we began this by looking, reading from the book of Hebrews chapter 11. I don't want to start reading that again. But when we read that, we found out that faith is used for three things. Looking at what those guys did, the people in the hall of fame of faith, as we call it, all right, in that book of Hebrews chapter 11, they did three things. Number one, they discovered destiny. Two, they fulfilled the destiny or the purpose of God for their lives. And three, they activated promises. None of them, listen, none of them used faith to pursue personal things. If you read that book of Hebrews chapter 11, they did three things with faith. One, they used faith to understand what God had as purpose for their lives, and they walked by that faith until that purpose was established. That was number two. Number three, when they found God's promises, they activated the promises by faith. And uh, you say, but Abraham wanted a child. But you will notice when he and God were talking, he had given up on it. He did not make a specific request concerning Isaac. Go and check it. What happened was he told God, what do you give me seeing that I go childless? It was God that said, no, you will not go childless. So God gave him a promise. And that promise was activated by the faith of Abraham. So Isaac was God's idea. Isaac was never, God, was never Abraham's idea. Isaac was the idea of God. What Abraham just did was to walk with God until Isaac manifested, until that word became flesh. And that's one thing I want to talk about today again. The fact that word, the word must be allowed to become flesh. And the purpose for our lives is so that the word might become flesh in our lives. Actually, I should start from the book of Ephesians chapter 2. The book of Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read this. This will be our first reading for the day. All right, let's start from verse... Um, uh, it's a long read, so let me see where I can break it. I'm going to verse 10, thereabouts. Let's just start from verse 1, all right? I will jump here and there, so save time. And you were dead, he said, in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now walking in the sons of disobedience. He said, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. Verse uh, 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we're dead in our transgressions, he made us alive because of his mercy and the great love with which he loved us. He made us alive together with Christ. Verse 6. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ. Now, why did he do all of this? Number one, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing greatness of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. What's the purpose? Verse 10. Next thing. So for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we will walk in them. Please, I want you to understand this. He said, 
we were dead in our trespasses. He saved up by the power of his own working, by the grace that is in Christ Jesus because of his love, because of his mercy. Why did he do that? To demonstrate his own righteousness. And number two, he said, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That is, God saved us so that we will do good works, which he prepared beforehand, so that we will walk in them. The first thing I want to say, what is the good works? That's what I want to, that's why I read this. That the, the, you know, sometimes we interpret um, life as if um, um, we, we take, let me, I wanted to say, we interpret scriptures as if we are the one that spoke those words. And that's very wrong. This, God was not speaking your language. He was speaking his own language. You are supposed to find out what he had in mind, not to bring it into what you are thinking. Now, what do I mean? Sometimes, I give an example here the other time. If you hear that Abraham laughed, you assume that he laughed the way you laugh with Alibaba. You assume he laughed the way you laugh when Agodai talks. Are you getting my point? Or Godons. But if you look at the way laughter is in the Bible, when you hear Abraham laugh, you need there was a sign of victory. Something struck him. He discovered something he did not know before. It wasn't funny. It was overwhelming. It wasn't fun, funny. Are you getting my point? It was, let me use the word intriguing. It was, it was exciting. So that was why he laughed. And I told you the other time, so when he said, oh, that Ishmael might live before you, you read the scriptures well. He thought Ishmael had to die if Isaac was coming. That's what he thought. So he now said, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. If you read the NIV, NIV actually puts the word yes. Most Bibles use the word no. But the truth is that neither yes nor no are in the original scriptures, you know, uh, manuscripts. People just put that word in to try and help us understand. But it said, as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. But my covenant will be with Isaac. So we misinterpret that. I'm saying something here. Let me not get, uh, get carried away by that. I want to bring out the expression good works. So when we think of good works, we are looking at good works as a modern man will look at it. What is good works? Get rice, go to the internally displaced people's um, person's camp, and start giving rice. That's good works. <laughs> That's where we look at it. Visit the poor. Help the needy. We look at that as good works. All right? But we don't realize that when God is saying good works, yeah, those things are good, but that's not what he calls good works. The word good in the Bible is used in an interesting fashion. They came, good teacher. He said, why did you call me good? There is none good but God. What are good works? Good works are the things that God ordained for you. When, I, when, um, when Joshua went out and he began to walk, he served nobody free food. When Joshua went out and began to walk, he did not visit any sick person. What he, t- did, what he did was to take his sword and slaughter everybody that was occupying the promised land. I don't know whether you are getting my point. If you were in the promised land and he was coming, Joshua was coming, you had to run. Because his own good work was to help the people inherit the land. God said clearly to him, this is the reason why I raised you up. So that through you, we make these people inherit the land that I promised to their ancestors. So the warfare that Joshua waged was the good works that God had for him. So it's not just about I give food to the poor. That is good. I'm not saying it's bad. But when the Bible says you were created for good works, it's God that looks at the works and calls them good. It is not you trying to do something that the society, all right, we say is good. I was listening to a man the other day, and he said something that's very interesting. You know, I heard, um, I heard um, um, Chris Delvan say it. I heard David Paulson say it. Now, please don't misunderstand them. Don't misunderstand them. Please don't misunderstand them. I'm about to quote them. 
they were saying that Christians should not prioritize AIDS. You know, like people are sick, go and visit them. He said, let the world go. That's the only thing they know how to give. He said, the priority for the Christian must be transporting the word of God. He said, that's the thing that nobody else will carry. They were not saying Christians shouldn't do good works. They were talking about priority. That you see many times, people divert money, all right, for charity. They take away from giving to the gospel and give to charity. They were saying, listen, the world, WHO, um, what do you call them? A Red Cross can do charity work. Um, what do you call the Oxfam can do charity works, work. UNICEF, they can do all of that. But nobody else will preach this word for you. And that what is most important is the word. I mean, you know, you know this clown in Lagos, that, that guy that most confused people call the prophet. All right? One of the things that irritates me about him, about people, not him, is that when you ever get into discussion, say he's doing good works. What do you call good works? A man gathers rice, hires two television, four television cameras, high-level production, and focuses on the rice that is giving it to the poor. And you call it good work. A man gets up, disobeys clear-cut instructions, but because to human beings it looks good, we say he's doing good works. That's why human beings are very, very easy to com- confuse. Good works is not defined by how good it feels to the average person. Good works is defined by how aligned it is with the purpose of God. So for Joshua, enter the promised land, take all the Amalekites and take them out. That was good works. Find the Jebusites and wipe them out. Good works for him. I hope you get my point. Will you believe that Jesus saw a woman? He would, <laughs> let me just say this and I'll get back to my message. Whose child was ill and the woman was begging for help. And he called her and said, let me explain something to you. I wasn't sent to you. It would be wrong for me to take the children's bread and give to dogs. That doesn't sound good. But you know the point? He was more concerned about what did God say I should do. And for him, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So wait your turn. There was a time they said they went to Philip and Andrew. Want to see Jesus. Those ones came to Jesus. Some Greeks are looking for you. Jesus walked away as if they said nothing. At the time, Jesus said, except the man hates his father, mother, brother, sister, he can't be my disciple. When you're talking about good works, it's not how it feels to people. It's how aligned it is with the written plan of God for your life. So when you say you were created for good works, this is another thing I want to explain. When God made your good works, what he did was to write them down. You don't take him by surprise. Your brain, your soul, your spirit is not large enough, all right, to think up something that God never thought of. If he did that, that thing is wrong. Anything you think of and God didn't have the idea ahead of time will likely get you killed. That's just the way it works. No matter how much you want to help him. There was a man, Uzzah, we know his story. The ark was going to fall down. And God said, so you think I did not think about the possibility of the ark ever falling down? Why did I not give an emergency you know, measure or the, uh, clause that except it's falling down? Only <laughs> the man stretched out his hand and died. Listen, you cannot outthink God no matter how good your intentions are. You can't. There is nothing that he has not prepared. This is a matter of fact. What most of us experience, 
all right, is inferior to what God actually wanted to do in our life. One of the prayers, in fact, my wife can testify to this. These days, sometimes I wake up, I, I, I get, kind of get scared. You know what I mean by scared? You know what I mean? I just look at that and say, listen, sometimes people may know, I get emails, calls, you meet people. I, I meet people in strange places. I know, embarrass me, we are Pastor Banky. Remember the one that happened the other time when we come back from Makodi? And um, a, mobile, a, a highway patrolman stopped us. And so I just came down from the car, stretched my legs, so he, he said, he came up to me and said, may I know you? He wanted to check the car. Initially, he said we should come down. He wanted to check the car. It wasn't the boot and all of that. They are doing general checks. Fine, security. He looked at me and said, may I know you? <laughs> and I said, well, depends. He said, later I told him, he was waiting for me to use the word pastor. When I said along the line, I'm a pastor. Before I finished, he finished it for me. He said, Pastor Bank. <laughs> he grabbed my two hands like this. And shouted. The other mobile, his, his colleagues thought there was maybe he found cocaine <laughs> in the boot of the vehicle. <laughs> he was so excited that he was meeting me for the first time. They had listened to me since the days of Cosmo. This is many years ago. All right? We'll get things like that. All right? Now, I get things like that all the time, you know? But this is the point. This is why I'm talking about it. You know, the reaction it begets in me, you'll be surprised, is that. I hope this is all the Lord wants to do. Some say, well, thank God, we are making impact. It crosses my mind, but I say no. Definitely, God knows what he's doing. My own is that, am I sure that's all he wants to do? Maybe there are decisions I've made that's preventing him from doing more things. I don't know whether I get the point. You know, you see that, so I told all of those to let you know that, I see the impact of the work we are doing. I see the impact of the, you know, of the ministry. You get mails from strange places, all right? South Africa, all right? Europe, literally, you know? People from different places. And at the end of the day, I ask myself that, are you sure that's all he wants to do? You may, don't even think that, yes, oh, we are the working hard. No. There's nothing you are doing that God did not outthink. That's what I'm trying to talk about. If you thought of reaching 10 nations, he thought of 20. The only reason why you are reaching only 10 is that, is, that, is that that's all you are able to receive. That's all you are able to handle. There are times I'm walking in my house, I just say, hey, Banky, careful, though. check everything. Make sure you are not obstructing, because that's the only thing we can do. We may obstruct what he's trying to do, but we cannot make him move faster than he wants to move. It's not possible. He thinks far ahead of you. He thinks far ahead of, if all of us put our brains together and engineer something, is far inferior to what he has planned. I hope you are getting what I'm explaining here. It is not possible for you to think of something that God did not think of first. If that thing is right. He always has a plan. In fact, the Bible tells us like that now. It has not yet entered the heart of man. Eyes have not seen it. Are you getting my point? That is, when they say it has not yet entered the heart of man, people have not been able to imagine that which God planned for those who love him. Those who are called according to his purpose. What he planned, it's not possible. Nobody can imagine it ahead. Like one man said once, many years ago, when I was thinking about it, when I, was, I heard somebody talk about this, he said, if you ever think about anything, instantly you should know it's too small for God to do. That, why? The fact that you were able to conceive it is proof that it's too small for God to do. That anything you can conceive, that the real things that God calls work, you can't conceive it. <laughs> Now, once it enters your heart, forget it. As far as God is concerned, it's already done. It's a small thing. 
Now, why am I saying all of these things? We're talking about the fact that we're created for good works. So what God did was to write everything down. Everything is written. Everything is written. Everything is written. Everything is written. When Moses was going to build a tabernacle, God said, come, let me show you the plan. So they sat down. God is an architect. Are you getting my point? He does plans and does 3D models. And he, <laughs> he sat Moses down. Moses saw the 3D model. Then he removed the thing line by line and showed him the floor plan, all right, the beams, everything. <laughs> and said, now go down. Make sure you build. Don't come up with any ideas. Any idea you add to this will spoil this structure. What I have planned is perfect. Make sure you build according to this pattern that you have been shown. You cannot outthink God. That is a matter of fact. Even if you think, okay, I want to design a house for myself, what you should do is pray and say, Lord, I know you have, you know me. David said it that your thoughts are too wonderful for me. That there's, there's nothing about me you don't know. You know every, go and read that Psalm 139. Every fiber of my being you understand. There is nothing, even if I hide, there's nothing. He says, such thoughts are too wonderful for me. I, you know, I told you, when, you when, we are, when we are preaching faith sometimes, and we say be specific, I dropped that idea long ago. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. Because I just realized my brain is not big enough to know what is good for me. In all honesty, let's take this marriage as an example. <laughs> it's all these books you read. Women are from Mars and men are from Neptune. <laughs> Listen, I'm not, I don't know where you are from. Can be from Jupiter for like. <laughs> the fact is that the kind of woman that will do you good, you don't know. What do you know? Adam did not know there's a concept called a wife. Like somebody said once, if God had given him a giraffe, he would not have known the difference. Even though I disagree with that, but what I mean is that he actually tried a giraffe and it didn't work. Do you know that? We are not going to that. I'm going to read the Bible. After they went through all of them, none of them fitted. None fitted. God now said to Adam, fine, lie down here, fall asleep. He now made, you know the dread of the story, took a rib out. But the point I'm making is that Adam did not know what a wife was. He just knew something was not complete. There were things God said he should do, he could not do. So Adam didn't know what Eve was supposed to be like. It was when he woke up and saw Eve that he said, this one is good. If you gave him the opportunity to design Eve, he would not have designed her like that. Why? He had never seen a woman before. That is why the Bible says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. Which means, like, you want to go somewhere. Lord, this is where I want to go. I commit it to you. You want to go, he closes the door. Say, Lord, thank you. I see you don't like that place I was planning to go. You can't stand and say, this door, you must open by force, by force. Because, listen, I've closed it. If you harass me long enough, I will throw it open. And whatever you see at the end of it, collect. And manage. What am I going to say? Listen, God thinks, all right, about the details of our lives. When I came to Enugu then, 
The prayer I prayed when I needed a house was, God, you knew I was coming. Enugu was never my idea. Even though I never heard, my son, my son, thou shalt arise and go to Enugu. He says things like that. I'm not saying he doesn't. But whether you heard that voice or you didn't, God is still leading you. If your heart is pure towards him. Please, I hope you are getting my point. The way I arrived at Enugu, I've told the story many times. But I was convinced that was God's plan. So when we got here, I said, Lord, okay, there must be a house. You, you knew I was coming. You knew I was coming. That's how I prayed my prayer. You knew I was coming. So where is it? Please, I hope you are following what I'm going to say here. We must understand that, listen, God plans things. He writes down his plans. He does. You cannot think good for yourself better than that which he has already thought of. What are you supposed to do, therefore, if you recognize all of these things? Your desire in life, therefore, must be to leave out that which he thought of before and wrote down. The life of the believer, that's how God planned it, is that it should be an expression of that which he wrote. Jesus walked to the disciples and said something. He said, these things that you have seen were the very things I spoke to you about. That is, everything you are seeing were once spoken by God as words. Those were the things that became reality that you saw. That is, when he was born, listen to this, every time the, something happened in the life of Jesus, you will find the, the commentary going like this, that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken, that it might be fulfilled that which was written, that it might be fulfilled that which Isaiah said. That's the life of Jesus. That was his life. There is nothing, okay, that happened in his life that was not written. His life, that, when the Bible calls him the word of God, when he said in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, he now said, and the word became flesh. We look at this as if something intangible. No, you know what I was trying to say, all right? God spoke things. Everything that God spoke was what you saw in Christ Jesus and those things began to manifest. He said the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. When he was going to the cross, it was the word becoming flesh and manifesting for us to see according to that which was written in Isaiah chapter 53. All these commandments Moses gave them concerning the sacrifices, the lamb, how you slaughter it, three years old and all of that, that was the word. Then the word became flesh, and Jesus came and manifested everything that was written. You know, there was a time they wanted to kill him, and the disciples were afraid. He said, forget that thing. A prophet will not perish outside Jerusalem. No matter how many times you tried, you couldn't kill him. That outside Jerusalem, this man is not dying. And when he began to head towards his death, he began to explain to them, listen, you will see things happen, but don't be, don't be worried. It's just that which was written that I'm playing out. I'm going to emphasize something to believers. As it was with the Lord Jesus, that is how your life and my life are supposed to be. Our lives are not things we think of. Our careers are not things we think of. Our ministries are not things we think of. They are things we discover and walk in. I hope you're getting my point. I'm going to say here. Listen, listen, go to the book of Ecclesiastes. 
And I said, we should open to that one first. I've been explaining what's good works. It's not, oh, let's go and feed the poor. That is good, but that's not what the Bible is talking about. The Bible says we were created for his pleasure. Now, I want to read Ecclesiastes for a certain reason. The book of Ecclesiastes is chapter 12. Now, actually, is the whole of Ecclesiastes I want to talk about for a moment. If the Lord blesses it, I actually intend to go through that book of Ecclesiastes. There was a time I started it from the beginning, and it was so interesting reading it, because the book was talking to me. Are you getting my point? Let me just say this. Except by special revelation, you cannot understand Ecclesiastes before a particular age. <laughs> Whatever. You need to have lived life and experience some things before some things there will make sense. If you are too young, the book is going to confuse you. If you, if you understand, if you have understood life, especially you live life with the fear of God, I say the fear of God now, the word of God guiding you, you will discover a lot of things and you will now know what Solomon was talking about. Especially for me. Especially when you, that's how it happened with me, that's what I mean. When you have read a man like um, Oswald Chambers, and Oswald Chambers explained a small principle. He was quoting somebody also, and he amplified what that person said. And he said that it is very difficult in life to separate your feelings from how you interpret things. That no matter what you do, your background beliefs affect your interpretation of things. That what was unique to, uh, to Solomon was that because of the wisdom that God gave him, he was able to separate his faith from what he was seeing. And then he could not tell you about life objectively without the knowledge of God inside it. So he would look at it and say, listen, if you look at life properly, it's vanity. That life has no meaning. And he starts showing you why it doesn't have any meaning. He said, go and check it. The River Niger has been flowing since before the days of Mongo Park. Then Mongo Park came and discovered where it, where it was flowing through. Then the, the, the which brothers, Nalanda's brothers, something. Who found the origin? Was it Mongo Park or Landa's brothers? Anyway, you know the story. One of them, anyway. <laughs> they, you know, before the days of those people, <clears throat> excuse me, Nevada was there, and since that time, it's been flowing. Where is it flowing to? The ocean. He said, look at the ocean. Has it become full? Why is this still accepted in Niger? He said, flow is vanity. <laughs> he said, because if you are flowing, you should be feeling something. You've been feeling this ocean for how many years? It's not yet full. So all your flow is what? Vanity. Then it starts again. The rain falls. Where's the earth? The sun comes. It dries it. Vapor rises up. The rain falls again. And sometimes, uh, he said, oh, okay, has the earth changed? No. What is the cloud is still there? So all this falling is what? Vanity. The man went on and on and analyzed life. Let me explain what I say. He will look at your career. He will show you how you began school, how you read, how you went through school, how you succeeded, where you, where you, are, where you are at right now. He will now show you somebody else that did not do anything like that. It's in the same place. So what does that tell you? All your work about vanity. You know, you will go to, you know, we read things. You go to business school, you learn how to invest money. You learn a lot of things. And then at the end of the day, after you've done all your investment planning, 
All right, you've done everything. You find out that your portfolio, everything is worth 200 million naira. Say, wow, you are very wise, you think? Say, yes. Say, wait, let me show you a fool that's richer than you. So, the man will turn around and show you one layabout that when you were planning and reading, he did not bother. He was at the backyard playing with his friends, buying Indian hemp and smoking a bit. He will show you all the wrong things the guy did. So you went to school, you got a job, you invested money, you bought from the banks, you learned how to invest. Now you are worth how much? 200 million naira. Fine. You show this other guy, he can't speak English, can't do anything. At the end of the day, while the guy was sitting there one day, he found that he has a natural skill for kicking rubber. Then one white man came, paid him 200 million naira once to sign a signature somewhere and come and be kicking rubber in Europe. <laughs> With another promise to pay him another 200 million naira at the end of the year. So he turns to me and says, sir, all your planning to get money, what is it? Vanity. Should I have just stayed at home and not read your book? <laughs> you are getting what I'm going to say here. That was Solomon for you. Vanity. He will show you a man who made money, taught his, um, no, raised his children, made sure that they didn't have the hard life, taught them everything that he knows, and now say at the end of the day, look at the man, his son is a fool. So all this money he has acquired now, by the time the man, when the man started, it was worth 200 naira. When he was dying, he was worth $3.5 billion. So now he's dead, and he handed $3.5 billion to a fool. Say, so would it not have been better for him to have just made enough money to eat and drink and not train this fool? Because the fool went through 3.5 million after the man died in 10 years, and everybody's back to zero. So all their family is what? Vanity. This was what Solomon did. Though. He showed, look, there's nothing you want to show him. He, will, he was too wise. He will sit down and show you that this was pointless. He said, I got to this place because I did like this. He will show you who God there didn't do anything. Please, I hope you are following my point. So, Solomon, after going up and down like this, declaring everything vanity, he finally said, Well, you know, in every publication, you do your, you know, the introduction, everything, research methods, your results, your discussion, and now come to what? Conclusion. He said, At the end of everything, I have realized. This is summary of everything. Verse 13. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. He said, The conclusion when all has been heard is this. Fear God and keep his commandments. I like King James here. Please, I need to use King James. He said, This is the whole duty of man. Let me just read verse 14 for completeness. That's verse 13 is what I want. He said, for God will bring every act to judgment, <clears throat> everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Now, please, you see what he was trying to say here. I need to explain it further. Solomon was saying, in effect, look, I'm going to, we're going to take time and read through Ecclesiastes to begin to the end. I've been looking for God to give me the opportunity. It's an interesting book. You know what Solomon showed? That people don't get to places because they plan to get there. When he said there's a time for everything, we look at it as if, uh, you know, there's money, there's evening, money is for this, evening is for this. Say no. The year Barack Obama would become president was written before his great-grandfather was born in Kenya. He said that time 
for a black man to be president was already written. Hmm. That's what he was saying. He said, I have discovered that people, things happen, it appears like despite people. And there are many things that people want to achieve, they are not achievable. There's a quotation I give once in a while. I can't remember who said it because I've not been to locate it since. But an American president, one of the founding fathers, he said he has observed, maybe not one of the founding fathers, but one of the presidents of old, that he has observed from being president of America, United States, that it appears like the progress of a nation is supernaturally determined. It's as if I don't know what's moving this nation forward. So Solomon said, in effect, this is a summary, therefore. Anytime you wake up, don't worry about what tomorrow will be like. Tomorrow has been determined. So what are you supposed to do? Fear God. Obey his commandment. He said that's everything you are supposed to do. That if a man slaps you, just pause for a moment and say, what is the fear of God and the commandment concerning responding to such slaps. If you discover it, obey it. Don't think of that man at all. He said, don't think of that man at all. Just do what you are supposed to do. He says, the reason is because the consequences are already determined. Now, why am I saying this? Now, Solomon was looking at life, like he said, under the sun. So when he finally summarized everything, he said, listen, there's no way, life makes no meaning except for the moment-by-moment obedience to the word of God. Now, why did I read Solomon? I'll tell you. Because, or why I'm quoting what he said. Because I also thought about it. And I realized that this life, it can be really confusing. It can be really confusing. Sometimes people sit down, like I gave us an example earlier, tell you how to plan your life. Then when you finish planning your life, where is it going to lead you to? Okay, they say, okay, this is where it's going to be. You know, people say, you know, buy a house, do this one. People say, save, save. You never can tell what tomorrow will be like. Pastors preach it. That is such ungodly statement. You know my reason? Because Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. He made it clear. He said, save. He said, no, don't lay up treasure on the earth. And I've been around for some time. I've seen that, like I said, all things that most of the said. I don't want to give some examples because we are recording. But good men don't always succeed. Many, look, okay, let's say police as an example. Some of the most foolish people become things that will be annoying you. They'll be making laws to control your life. You know, a country's president is never the smartest fellow around. But he's the president. Believe me, I've thought about life like Solomon. I mean, too, I'm confused. <laughs> For that reason, I said, I now realize something, just like Solomon. And listen, to, this, this is what I want to say. So, what are we doing here? What is this earth about? Sometimes, like, country is rough right now. People say, what is the solution? Exit and go to the U.S. And relax there. Go to Western Europe and relax. Life is good there. Except that talk to people who live there. Life is as frustrating there as it is here. 
some of the most successful people I know over there, the only problem they have not, the reason why they haven't come back home is that they read so much news, they're afraid of kidnapping and shoot. They're not afraid of poverty. There's no power that doesn't worry them. The only reason, the only is that she, nobody will shoot me. If you can guarantee them that nobody will shoot them, they'll come back home tomorrow. A friend of mine, he said he went to the U.S. After two weeks, his wife wanted to go crazy. So this is his wife that has been pushing him, let's go, let's go, let's go. He said, after two weeks, the woman said, let's go back home. Now, you will have thought that you are where there's comfort now. The woman said, no, I'm going back home. These people, they want to drive me mental here. Now, why am I saying all of that? So, you know, it gets to a point, you now wonder, what is life about? Comfort is not the aim of life. Those who are poor think money is all there is. Once you have money, everything will be okay. Those who have made money realize that it's the least of the problems of life. That's just the way life is. So just like Solomon, I also thought about it. And I realized that really, the only thing that makes sense as a believer, what I have discovered from the scriptures, why did God create us? It's simple. He just said, I have sent you to the earth to go and be an expression of my word. I don't know whether you're getting my point. God didn't send anybody here to come and make money. God didn't send anybody here to come and do ministry. Ah, God didn't send anybody here to come and do church. I'm telling you the truth. He didn't send anybody here to become a politician. He said, each person, go, and the goal of your life is what? To be an expression of my word. And I said, okay, but some of us will be ministers. He said, yes. It is when each person is expressing my word, I now start moving them to the different areas. They are not supposed to desire any of those things more than being an expression of that which I have spoken. I don't know whether you are following what I'm going to say here. Listen, that's, look, that is the only thing. We're talking about good works. That's the good works. That's the beginning. That's the end. What is faith used for? Faith is used to activate that principle in your life so that what, is, what matters to you is that anything that God says is expressed through me. Not that I succeed on the earth. Forget that thing. Solomon has shown that success has no meaning. No, he has shown it. The man said, listen, is it, what are you talking about? They said, okay, if you, live, if you have better houses, you'll be, more, you'll be happier. Solomon built the best houses. They said, okay, you need better vineyards. He built vineyards, bought vineyards. They said, it's because you, he said, you have not yet understood the pleasure of cocaine. When you use cocaine, Solomon said, okay, where did they sell it? He collected cocaine. The man was on drugs for a short while. That's not a joke. Solomon, what did he not do? And I said, look, women are the best things. It's all right, no problem. You know what we're going to do? Let's start. He married 700 wives and had 300 concubines. In case you don't know what it means to have a concubine, is that he just sat down like that. One girl just passed. Ah! He said, this type I never seen before. They said, Marry is there no time to marry. He collected the girl sharp sharp that night, slept with the girl. By the way, the laws are, she's, she's his conqueror. It's either you marry her or he stays. In. So the girl just, in a king now. At the end of the day, the guy was frustrated. 
So he wrote for everybody and said, listen, there is nothing better than to, as a young man, marry one wife and enjoy life with that one. The second one is calamity. He wasn't speaking by faith. He was talking from experience. The man achieved everything achievable. At the end, he says, success is vanity. These days, you know, <laughs> I see Christians still fall for it. They still, those of us ministers, we still think that uh, Pastor E. Adeboye is a successful minister. Bishop David Oedepo is a successful minister. Rehan Bonk is a successful minister. Solomon said it's nonsense. He has no meaning. You don't know who's successful. You don't know who's failing. He said, listen, don't make... Because what happens is that, if we don't realize that, we are building ministry, we have an E.I.D. boy in front of us as our idol. We are building ministry, we have a David Oedipo in front of us as an idol. We are building ministry, we have those people there, and God doesn't like that. He said, each person... Walk in your life so that everything about your life will be an expression of that which I have written. When you do that, if I want another Adeboye, I will put him there. If you are the one, I will put you there. If you are not the one, wherever you are, what matters? No, I'm talking about God has a plan. And that's what Solomon discovered. He said, I noticed that things seem to happen despite people. So he said, look, in God's plan, God will do what he wants to do at the time he wants to do it. And let's add many things together. Let's not talk about Solomon alone. So Paul said, okay, the only thing you can do is make sure you are prepared to be a vessel unto honor. He said, how do you prepare it? Flee sexual immorality. Flee youthful lust. Flee all this rubbish that people get involved in. He said, if you don't, you will, be, you will still be used by God. That one is sure. That you will be used in certain. It's what you will be used for. That's the question. That somebody will betray Jesus was determined. That it will be Judas was a choice. Somebody will betray Jesus, fine. Who will betray him? Peter had his personal problems, but not like that. Thomas wouldn't believe anything that he had not seen, but that doesn't make him a betrayer. So, what do we do? God said, find a man who steals. So the day Jesus prayed all night and returned in the morning and chose 12 disciples, he said to himself, I've chosen 12 of you. He said, one of you is a devil. The man was stealing in the ministry, which he did beforehand. If I say this, I hope you understand it, but it's a matter of fact. The man Jesus chose him, hmm? He was due for death. God just said, don't kill him yet. Let me use him for something. So he put him in the ministry. And his bad works followed him. And Jesus was just looking at him, feeling sorry for him every day. But that Jesus would die was determined. That one of his disciples or his apostles would betray him was determined. Who it will be was not personal choices. And it's not about, please, we want volunteers for betrayer. Who will help us here? <laughs> it wasn't like that. It was simply a matter of, if any man refuses to purge himself of these things, he will be a vessel unto dishonor. That's all.
That's just it. What God will do, he will do. He will place the right person at the, in the right place at the right time. So he just said, the only thing you can do is on a day-to-day basis. Be purging yourself of these things. That's what Paul wrote to Timothy. Then, wait. At the appropriate time, he will put you where you are supposed to be. I realized, after studying the scriptures in the last few months and years, that God does not like ambitious people. His major reason is that ambition is pointless. You know, it's important we understand what he really values. Many people think that, you know, we misjudge things. People think that Dangote is the richest man in the world in Nigeria because he planned it. If you think that, you don't know enough about business world. It didn't cross the man's mind. Until the stock market boom in Nigeria a few years ago, it did not cross the man's mind he can be like this. When did he come into the stock market? I, I, there's one quote I quote from Harrison Ford once in a while. Harrison Ford said, no man can rightfully take credit for anything. He said, there is luck, there is grace. That's Harrison Ford. One of America's best-known actors. Successful man he appears like. You won't realize that he had given up on acting. Before somebody gave him the role of uh, Indiana Jones. He had given up this acting thing, doesn't pay. He wasn't getting roles, so he had given up. He now went to carpentry so that he can keep body and soul together. I don't know what I get the point. So he was making sets. They want to act in this place. Okay, we need a, we need a church, so this is the construction. He'll go there, construct the church for them. One man just came one day and said, Come, you should be able to do this role, Indiana Jones. That was when his life changed. Now, what, what am I trying to say here? There are things God doesn't look. God doesn't, he doesn't like ambitious people because it's pointless. He said the ambition is pointless. He says simply, fear God, obey his commandments. Make sure every point in your life, what is paramount in your heart is the fear of God. Obedience to his commandments. Which for us as believers, that's what I'm going to explain here. We've understood that the world became flesh. That anything that's written about my life, this is my goal, this is my target. I pray to God that that word must become flesh in my life. That is what faith is for primarily. I think about, you know, I was driving down today. I was just thinking about the crisis that's in the country currently and all of that. At the point, in fact, this afternoon I told the Lord, I'm, I don't feel good about this. I felt bad about some things. I don't want to go into it now. Especially, you know, we pray about these things. We, we believe God for things. I, but what's going on here? I thought about it. And I realized that, look, God just said, in effect, thank you. I know, he didn't say that, I'm just creating words now. I just imagine he said that, look, I know what I am doing. The reason why I say you guys should pray and keep believing me, I know what it is doing that you don't know it is doing. So don't worry about it. I know what your prayer is doing. I know what I'm using you for. I know what I'm using your continent for. I know what I'm using your country for. It was yesterday I found out that Pi Elton prophesied long ago 
that Nigeria will be known for corruption when it was not corrupt. I just found out yesterday. That Nigeria will have a reputation for corruption. And this was said in the 70s. But that after that, another season will come. <laughs> I don't know whether you are following my point. Listen. When I thought about it, my mind came back to this again. That God said, listen, do you have a, do you, your whole duty is what? Fear God, obey his commandments. And I'm saying to believe that again today. That God said, the only thing I wanted to focus your heart on is that everything that is written must become real in my life. That concerning Jesus was said, the word became flesh. And this is the aim of faith. That God said, use your faith so that everything I spoke about you will become flesh. That's it. Don't let, don't put any, don't put anything in front of you as a goal, as an idol. More than the word must become flesh in my life. What does that mean? If I'm in the midst of an adversity, there is something that was spoken about children of God in adversity. That thing must become flesh in my life. I hope you are getting what I'm going to say here. If I'm a minister, there is something that was spoken. It is not about, uh, okay, I want to be like this man. No. What was spoken? What is in the scriptures? What was written? That thing must become flesh in my life. Success is when that thing becomes flesh. There are two kinds of books. Let me quickly talk about that briefly. Everybody, of course, there is a book for all of us. The, let me use the word, the, the common scriptures. Things that are written for everybody. We all have our Bible from Genesis to Malachi. From Matthew to Revelations. We have the book. Everybody has that. We learn it. That's why we are here. We are here for a Bible study. We want to understand the things that are written in that book. That's one. There is another book that's individual. Each person has his own. Each person has her own. Your name is written on your book. That book, let's just read our Bible again. Quickly. Psalm 139. We'll also go to Psalm 40. I just want to read Psalm 139. First of all. Oh, where I'm going is far, but I'd like to read from the beginning because there are so many things in there. Let's just read from verse 1. It says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. 